What is up, Gorilla Social Work fans? We are rolling into another episode of the Gorilla Social Work podcast with Jeff Moore and yours truly, Mace Warren, where we discuss all things related to forensic clinical social work. This episode of the podcast, as always, is brought to you by Alpha Counseling and Treatment. Alpha Counseling is the largest and most respected treatment provider in the gorgeous state of Utah for clients involved in the criminal justice system. If you are involved in the criminal justice system, or if you have a loved one who needs help, please call Alpha Counseling today at 801-645-5455 or visit our always modest website at www.utahsbesttherapy.com. Today's episode of the podcast features a discussion about study habits among uh, among college students and the potential use for stimulants. We came across a couple of articles that we thought were pretty good, um, and since it's finals week, this is kind of a moment in time podcast, so if you're listening to this, um, and this is more geared towards our student population, um, then you have a stake in listening to kind of what your study habits are and how much more likely you are or are not to use stimulants while you're while you're studying, if that's something that you want to avoid. We also jump into our problem-solving method, which is a cognitive behavioral therapy skill that we teach our clients. So without any further delay, I give you episode number 37. man looks like it's just me and you this time huh yep well and uh this is take two by the way because i'm an idiot and our first recording i completely screwed up so we're talking about the same topic over again and i don't know if we're gonna screw it up this time or do better this time dude this is what's in my head about this kind of thing it's like because uh, it was we did pretty good man it was a decent podcast like th- we, I think we made some good points, explained some things well, cracked some jokes in it. I get to where I'm like, ah, shit, how did I put that? And I, I want to like try to like reproduce and like, oh yeah, I said that a cool way. I liked how I said it. It's like, bro, okay, like ask me this and then I'll like pretend like it's the first time I've heard it. And then, but you can't do that, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, uh, I mean, I guess it's just us working out the bugs. So, yeah. so what, <laughs> whatever, you know. Uh, although, like, uh, it still bears worth like talking about the. Um, I mean, we we originally intended to record this, um, and it just seems like we do all our recordings around fights, and oh, <laughs> it's right. the the most. I wouldn't say the most epic. Well, no, I did. I guess it is the most epic old man fight. Although I don't know how real the whole thing was between a. Uh, Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. What what did you think overall of that you, whole thing? You didn't feel like it was real. Um, I mean, it was real, but but like like there was obviously those weird rules. Like you oh, were yeah. referring to them as old man rules the throughout, old man rules, yeah. right? Like if they got cut, it's over. Um, two minute rounds, right? Two minute rounds. rounds, and and one of the rules that was really funny that I saw because um, I was just uh, I was listening to Shop's podcast and he was talking about it. And he was talking about one of the rules was if one of them gets knocked out, it's over. I was like, well, yeah, yeah, that's, that's how like, it goes. <laughs> that's yeah, like that's typically any, the end of the fight in yeah. anybody's fight. So, so I don't know why uh, all of a sudden that was different, but um, I don't know. I thought I thought they did pretty good, man. I I still get excited for Mike Tyson. I can't help myself. It's it's like so very first uh, memory I have of Tyson, my, my parents, or my parents aren't even big fight fans, but, uh, it was when Mike Tyson fought, I want to say Spinks. 
and it, it was a pay-per-view, got my whole family over there. I mean, I, I, had, I was a kid. I was, you know, single-digit age or whatever, and I remember everybody was so jacked for this fight. It was over inside of two minutes, and, like, for, and, you know, Tyson just leveled the dude. And and from there, it's like I just have had this fascination with them. His, I mean, he's not like – I mean, he's a real-life person, but he's, like, had this character arc of, like – like savage youngest heavyweight champ ever to like criminal to <laughs> to psycho who tattoos his face to washed up uh fighter that lost his interest to now he's like a cannabis farming like hot boxing with Mike Tyson type of dude. Now he's back to fighting again and he looks shredded for like a fifty what year how old was he? Fifty three. Fifty three, yeah. I think fifty three. So Still. no I I agree, man. Like I uh I mean he he's He's a genuine lunatic, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. Like his yeah. character arc. It reminds me. He sounds like a. He sounds like a Stephen King character or something. You know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like. He's, so it's always pretty fun to to do that. So, um. Well, yeah. And I mentioned that we're alone because we have uh, at least for our next couple of podcasts, we got guests, right? Some guests lined up. Yeah, we have a couple villains to victory. Uh, Man, we're reviving that series, huh? Finally, yeah. It's yeah. been it's been uh, a. I think Dallas was probably the last one we did, and that was what, like two years ago. Oh so. yeah, and I wasn't even there for that, huh? Right, yeah. That, okay, right, yeah. okay, yeah. So a couple of villains to victory, and then um, we we have a um, we we're gonna have a um, a dad come in and talk about suicide, right? Right. Yep, yeah. And, okay. Oh, it, oh, and he, so here's the thing. Uh, this this will put this is gonna put a little bit of pressure on you, bro. But you've got to get video up and going by the new year because the most important podcast we're gonna do is is gonna be like just see how the human body holds up under four hundred and thirty five pounds of weight. Yeah. Well, so I mean that like uh, I, I'm gonna get it up and running anyway, but and hopefully before then because uh, as far as our YouTube channel. I, th- I think it'd be good to have. Uh, I, I don't know. It probably will probably lose listenership um, because now we have our ugly mugs on the on the podcast. But well, they already know what we look like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They do, but yeah. not in real like in like action. I, yeah. I feel like when you're you know like when you're smiling and cheesing it or whatever, like you have one way of looking at it. But then, but then when you're in real time doing a podcast, and sometimes we're scrubbing it. Oh, total you know? derp yeah. face. Yeah. yeah. They'll be like, ugh. It just you know. But I I don't know. I it seems like it has value. Yeah. Yeah, so so that'll be good. Yeah, my my I have a bench press coming up in in uh, January, provided that one of my shoulders doesn't rip out of socket in the meantime. What, so what, when was that that you hit? So like for the listeners, I spotted Mace when he did four hundred and twenty five pounds. Was that a year ago? Two years ago? When was that? At least two years ago. It'd Ridiculous be, amount of weight. Yeah. It, well, it was at least two years ago, and um, so yeah. So this, it, I think this year, um, I've, I've done a little bit better with putting weight on. Uh, in yeah, the you're previous, a fat boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in, pre, in previous years, I haven't, uh, I haven't been able to put weight on as well as I would have liked to, um, and, and this year has been a lot better. So I, I, I think that that being too light just it doesn't go well with a whole lot of weight. So that that's got to be the difference. Like since. Since uh, I've sort of shifted up how I train and, uh, you know, a lot of the weightlifting I do is more dedicated to, like, performance for jiu-jitsu, I, I'm lighter than you know, I've been. And, like, yeah, I, I figured that I'm getting weaker just because I'm getting older because I still push m- myself hard, but I don't – it's not like I'm not carrying around enough on my frame to – 
crush the amount of weight I used to. Yeah, there's something to it. So, well, I mean, so hopefully that well, that might be one like one of those uh, one of those I don't know ridiculousness videos where the weight just comes crashing down on me and. It would yeah. if I was trying 435, bro. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah that's going to be with Arlo, right? Yep. We're having him back. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Arlo's going to be coming on. That's Mental right. Mental health and exercise. So, well, well. so today, um, so today we, we this is kind of a moment in time podcast, I suppose you might say, because um, we're in uh, December 1st today of 2020, and this is also finals week. And um, one of the things we wanted to do was speak to our student audience who's listening to this. It's kind of a pretty big, um, you know, collection of our, of our listeners, and uh, we wanted to talk about study habits, what goes into those, and specifically, like, what are potentially some risk factors that go into, um, you know, students' use of of stimulants to aid in in their study habits, and so. Um, I mean, I, I guess a good place to start is maybe just talking about our experiences. Right. Um, like back in either graduate school or undergrad, um, I don't know, all of us to some degree or another are exposed to this. I guess I'm curious from your perspective, Jeff, like what did, what did you kind of notice going on with, with other students um, that you were going to school with back then? As far as like study drugs? Yeah, or I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, any, any, any ways of enhancing their study habits up to and including study drugs yeah i mean that so the people i hung around with it there it wasn't done a ton it was kind of this thing that was like talked about a bit but i did notice and megan i don't i don't know if it had to do with the athletes or what but it seemed to be that like a lot of the athletes that lived in the dorms at weber state you know they had to keep a certain gpa and you know i guess you put that on top of the physical demands of, you know, football practice or whatever it is. And, uh, yeah, I, I like some of those, there, there was kind of a, uh, underground sort of riddling <laughs> black market <laughs> type, type deal. But it, it, it wasn't, um, it wasn't huge with my particular group of friends that I was hanging around with, but it was, it was there though. Okay. So you, I mean, obviously you were aware of it. Well, I was aware of it. Yeah. And about you. Well, um, I mean, I don't know. I, 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 I guess I didn't study very much with other people. Um, I kind of st- stuck to myself, although I did have, um, you know, it, and there is typical stuff like people drinking, you know, five rock stars at a time or, or you know, right. taking no-dos or whatever, whatever the hell it is, like pretty typical stuff. But um, And I certainly was aware of people who had, had um, you know, taken Adderall or, or some type of stimulant. The, the one that stuck out to me the most was when I was going to uh, BYU for my graduate program. Shout out to BYU. And this kid, honor code and all, by the way, um, had told me that his his study method was he would put eight nicotine patches on and that would help him stay up all night. <laughs> and I was thinking, yeah, oh, it, oh it would God. either do that or kill you. One of the... <laughs> One of those two things. It seems Eight like nicotine. Yeah. Where would he put them? Just like on his back or something? I don't. Yeah, who knows, dude? I have <sighs> I have no clue. I wasn't like show me, man. Like, yeah. he's like, yeah, I get like seven or eight nicotine patches. I'm good for the whole night. I'm well, like, Whoa. well, wait, like, would he put them? Do you, maybe you don't know this, but. When you're saying that, I'm imagining that he's putting all eight on at once, and then I thought maybe that's one after the other. Well, no, well, to me, in my mind, I always thought it was all eight at all once. Eight. That's as well. how I'm visualizing. Right, it. that's right. how I choose. To that's think how. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't qualify that and ask him to kind of clarify, but that's that's kind of the 
um, what was happening. I mean, and I guess overall, the, the, the story is is that um, that you that you you know students have an awful lot of pressure to do well on in school, right? I mean, there's a lot writing on on you know uh, these classes and the the grades that you get out of these classes. I mean, it you know as a, um, I, I've heard. On, on a lot of different podcasts is also, you know, books and whatnot uh, of leadership that a lot of times, you know, prospective employers are simply looking at the fact that you attended a college for four years or, you know, six years at a time and were able to obtain a degree and, and whether or not that degree actually matches the qualifications of the job, the fact that you stuck to it and did it is often enough of, of, of a qualification for, for, you know, them hiring you. Mm -hmm. So, so staying in school and I think like getting good enough grades, you know, at least to that degree is important for people's future. After all, you're also paying for this and or going into debt for it. So, you know, that that's it is important. And then the other thing is is specifically if you want to go on to further higher education, this becomes ever more important. Um, like I was talking to a uh, uh, a guy who was going to be applying for his PhD, and he he told me he told me that he was really worried about his GPA when he was applying because he had a, a 385 overall GPA. And I was like, he was worried. I was like, damn, dude, a 385 ain't going to cut it. Where was he applying? I think Purdue is where he was oh, was his primary goal. And then there was a couple others. But but I, I mean, I, I just want to acknowledge that a lot of the students are experiencing a, a lot of pressure that's coming down to this. Um, and, and so one of the things we wanted to talk about could, because we came across a couple of pretty cool articles that I think highlight some of these things that I mean is worthwhile to discuss and then maybe give you guys you know like in in kind of the fashion that we go about this a a intervention to maybe use when you're determining the best methods for study so uh, I mean the other thing was I was thinking about like um but weren't you part of a fraternity back when you're in your undergrad yeah Pi Kappa Alpha okay and was there I mean obviously you guys did you guys all live in the exact same house or how did that work yeah I, I lived in the fraternity house there were uh, so at Weber State, the there was like the their the Greek system was disbanded uh like maybe thirty years prior because uh another fraternity was running drugs out of the fraternity houses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not study drugs like the good kind, you know, oh, okay. the fun kind, yeah. And so all fraternity houses at Weber State were eighty six basically. And so to to still get the Greek system experience, uh, me and uh, five other dudes, uh, we we would rent a house and we would live there. So I lived in the fraternity house for uh, two consecutive years, and it was just a regular house that we absolutely destroyed. <laughs> like we not only lost our deposit, we had to pay out an additional $2,000 had to get recarpeted. I don't know how many, and I repaired, I don't know how many holes in the wall. I, you know, I'd, I'd use like the cardboard from cartons of beers, the patch thing. And just, I, I mean, it was a wreck. I feel bad for the dude that we rent from. Yeah. We were so indignant too. When he, when he was trying to get us to, pay money for all the stuff we destroyed <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how dare he yeah yeah that's yeah. what i thought yeah that's funny you know, yeah. um it's funny that that reminds me i i um equally regret and have pride in not ever 
joining that fraternity. And I'll and I, I I will tell you guys why. And this is right along with my character. If anybody knows anything about me, um, <laughs> there was I won't I mention I won't mention yeah, his yeah, yeah I won't yeah. mention his name because that's rude. But there was uh, one gentleman um, that was from our high school that was able to join that fraternity. And let me just tell you, folks, this guy was like, okay, if you. If you think of the word dweeb, right? Dweeb. <laughs> and just picture a person, like just picture a dude and and what that person looks like. I guarantee you're you the exact replica of this dude is in your head right now. <laughs> and one way or another, he made it into this fraternity. So then I was like, "Well, wait a minute. If that dude can make it in, I don't want to be part of those reindeer games." Which <laughs> <laughs> there's something to what you're saying. Like the 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 thing is there's there's some level of, all right, so so look, there were a lot of guys in the fraternity that, if not for the fraternity, I would never have been friends with. Probably because my path would have never crossed. But just for example, and I'll quit yapping about the fraternity in a second here. But uh, like in the in the fraternity house, I I lived with this dude that's from Ghana, another guy that uh, his he was like a total Star Trek type of guy, computer programmer. Um, the the cast from Half Baked, the movie with you know Dave Chappelle and uh, you know whoever else is in that, and and uh, a gigantic ogre from Washington that played football. It was a most motley crew cast of characters. I'd have never been friends with, but now I am, and that's it. I don't know. It's it's it, it was a cool experience, but yeah, I, dude, I don't blame you. Well, like I guess my only exposure to fraternities is having watched Revenge of the Nerds. Which, spe- oh yeah. Speaking of ogre, by the way, <laughs> uh, <laughs> dude, like I, I always, I, it saw previews of that, and like I'd seen like little clips of it and everything, and I just was like, wait, why are these dudes so mad? Like, what? I mean, that guy was literally yelling. <laughs> Oh, he hated like, them. Going cross-eyed and stuff. I'm like, what? What could they possibly do? And then I watched it, and then I was like, oh yeah, dude, I hate <laughs> these nerds. I love. And then there's that one. There's that one part where that dude, uh, the main nerd dude, he he uh, puts on that or Darth Vader mask and dude. rapes that chick. The, but but, but it wasn't fair. even couched as rape in the movie. It was like this, ha ha. Yeah, the the nerd got to get laid by someone that's not his girl like and dude and then and then in, in true fact they just she just falls for him after that too i was like oh come dude come on it, you know like maybe that's what kickstarted us off on this career you know we see the the this <laughs> this this uh culture of rape if you will that is nuts though like looking back on it like how the hell did that fly yeah that you couldn't make that movie now no yeah no yeah so well i mean i'm and i'm glad you know the alpha betas and the lambda lambda lambdas, the trilams, the trilams, right? That's a thing of fiction. But I, I guess I would say that the 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 other thing that we're going to factor into this is like peer influences, because peer influences is a big factor as to whether or not um, apparently that you're that you're going to to use these two. So, um, so as far as the as far as the study goes, the studies go that we we were referencing on this. Um, the the name of the study is this comes from the uh, Journal of American College Health, and the the title was um, study strategies and study drugs investigating the relationship between college student study behaviors and prescription stimulant misuse, 
And this was written by Abby Johnson Holm, Hannah Hossman, and Matthew G. Rhodes, looks like. Okay. So basically what, what they did was they took 334 college students, and this was at a large Midwestern university, so um, obviously not going to be named, right? And what they examined was they looked at um, those who misused prescription stimulants to compensate for maybe poor study strategies or, or lack of study strat- strategies overall. And they kind of hypothesized that uh, regular spacing of the studying, meaning that, that they're going to... Um, that they're going to, you know, plan ahead and give themselves more time rather than just cramming the day before and using more study strategies and using more effective study strategies would ultimately predict lower odds of prescription uh, stimulus misuse. And so in contrast, they hypothesized that um, if they had ineffective study strategies, that would predict, and, and, and if the students were not using any spacing or planning, and in other words, just, you know, started, you just crammed for tests, that would predict higher odds of prescription stimulant misuse. And the results basically said that regardless of their spacing, meaning that it, it regardless of if, a, if students planned for this ahead of time, um, or if they um, if they uh, uh, crammed for it, uh, neither of those were predictors. They, they, they were just as likely in either case to use prescription stimulants, which is kind of, which is kind of nuts. Like you would think that the kids who planned it out might be a little less impulsive and therefore might not use the the prescription stimulants, right? I would have bet the house on that. It's weird that that doesn't pan out. Yeah, and so. What they also what they also said was that um, that the the more study strategies that were used um, that so if you and, and when they talked about study strategies they were talking about like the use of flashcards mm. or um, you know uh, taking practice tests or mnemonic devices, mnemonic devices, stuff, yeah, uh-huh. stuff like that. Um, Johnny mnemonic, <laughs> worst movie ever, yeah, horrible. <laughs> Damn, uh, Keanu. Yeah, that that uh, that those those would be predictors as well. And I, and I'm kind of curious, like what were I mean, I don't know. Study habits seem to be. I think they're paying attention to that, like. You know, study habits of anybody um, would be predictors, and 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 I mean, get what would you think, Jeff? Like, I mean, if you had more study habits versus less study habits um, or study strategies, would you see more, pres- you know, more or less prescription stimulant misuse? Well, to me, like in, intuitively, the way I think about it is, you know, the the more you know tools in your toolbox, and you know, if if you have multiple ways to approach a complex thing like studying for a test. And, uh, you know, the more varied approaches that you have, the more effective you're going to be. So probably you, you'd be more efficient and therefore not need to take as many drugs. That's, I know the answer to this, but that is, (laughs) that, that is what I would have said. Yeah. And well, and, and me too. I mean, I, again, it, it tends to be, I guess, I guess you could say, well, in my mind, I think about that. And what what it, what comes to me is it it almost seems like that th- they're incorporating multiple study strategies to do better, and and that seems like somebody who is well thought out, yeah, and and has you know thought this through. What they actually found was that a greater number of total study strategies um, 
predicted higher odds of prescription stimulant misuse. And and also if those were effective study strategies. So if they were they were deemed effective versus ineffective. If so if they were using and that was by a multiple of 1.36. So you were 1.36 more likely to use prescription stimulant misuse if you incorporated more total study strategies. What what's it saying about effectiveness though? It, so if you used effective they they categorized effective versus ineffective study yeah. strategies, right? So an an ineffective study strategy might be something like um, I mean, they they didn't really do well to quantify exactly what those were, um, at least with the information that I read. And I don't know, you know, like one of the things was um, just, you know, uh, listening to uh, or like reading through a book one time and calling it quits, you know, or something like that. Pretty ineffective study strategy. You know, you're going to do flashcards to go over important material. You're going to highlight. You're going to write down a study guide. What are you going to do? And none of that was done. Mm. So just kind of w- once over, you know, glance at the material and call it good. I see. Or, and, and not really, you know, and, and certainly go to classes, pay attention to the lecture, but not take many notes for studying later on. Ineffective study strategies at that point. But what they said was effective study strategies. So if you were using... Ineffective or, or effective, if you were using more study strategies, you were 1.36% more likely, or 1.36 times more likely, rather, to uh, use prescription stimulant misuse. Now, if you used effective study strategies, then you were 1.7 times more likely what? to use prescription stimulant misuse. <laughs> and that went up each time, 1.75 more, if you incorporated more study strategies. So if you had three, then you were even more likely to use prescription stimulant misuse. And the, the last predictor was the higher importance of school predicted higher odds of prescription stimulant misuse. That makes sense. So, it, it, well, <laughs> but basically... You got more riding on it. You're going to do whatever you got to do. It's, it's like steroids for your noggin, you know? Well, it, but it seems opposite of what you would think to be true. So the students who plan ahead, uh, students who plan ahead of time, incorporate multiple effective study strategies and it's a, an important discipline for which they're you know they're they're studying those are the most likely used prescription stimulants man it almost kind of endorses using prescription stimulants <laughs> yeah, yeah. it was like one time when i was what uh, direction is this podcast going <laughs> yeah, well no i i'm just all basically they're just saying students you know may not be misusing prescription stimulants as a substitute for effective studying, but rather to augment effective study habits. They were trying to improve their already effective study habits. And that's where you have to question if that's, if, if it's actually making, if it's moving the needle. You know what I mean? Is it, is it actually making a difference? So that right. person's obviously trying to move it forward. But, dude, that reminds me, when I started at Weber State, shout out to Weber State University, when I first started there, I was with uh, our good friend, um, um, Alan Falls, and we attended like their orientation. And there was this dude that got up there, and he was talking about methamphetamine, and like so he's talking about it, and he's you know he's like, you know, when you take meth, uh, it's it makes you feel great. Um, you can get a lot done. You have endless amounts of energy. Um, you feel like you're on top of the world. You can focus more. You, you know, higher cognitive capacity. The sex is awesome. I'm like. 
is he going to try to sell this shit to yeah. us? <laughs> like, <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Where's this going, man? Yeah. And then he just kind of cut off, and he's like, well, introducing my next colleague. I'm like, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> like, like, are you even going to say, yeah, but drugs are bad? Like, anything? So, so I, but I mean... Um, Had a little Walter White now. Yeah, yeah. So I, I guess this is, I guess this is maybe a, um, a testament to the amount of pressure these students are under. Um, and how much pressure they're placing on themselves as a matter of getting into this, don't you think? Yeah, right. Yeah. So, and so one of the things, the other thing that we that we talked about was um, this uh, this relationship between your peers, because um, there was another study that was put out, um, and it was titled the the moderating role of positive peers in reducing oh, substance right. use in college students, and this kind of speaks to what we were talking about earlier. Um, and, and this also came from the Journal of American College Health. And basically, what they were just saying was, you know, if you were if you were with a positive peer affiliation, and um, you know, have good self regulation, future orientation, consequential thinking, um, that was negatively related to substance use, except for binge drinking, of course, because after all, we're in college, right? Absolutely. Um, but if you're with uh, what they determined to be a deviant peer affiliation, that was positively associated with substance use, and it was more likely that we were going to use this. So a couple of things that we want to kind of factor into this is, is obviously, um, I think you know each college student is going to determine this for themselves. I'm not casting any judgments aside. Um, we all graduated D.A.R.E. back in the day, and we know don't do drugs. I think the, the question is, is, um, is it necessary, and are there other ways of going about this? And I think the answer to both of those is, you know, maybe is it necessary? Well, I think that's up to the person. Is Again, what part necessary? Using drugs, using okay. stimulant, you know, misusing prescription strength stimulants. Okay. Um, is it necessary? You know, uh, so it seems that that starts to get really moral, and I don't want to cast like, you know, I would say objectively, no, it's not necessary. Um, and, you know, are there other methods to resolving this and i'd say of course yes yeah. so that's kind of what we want to target today because when we when we deal with it's a complex issue and when we deal with complex problems with our clients we have an intervention for them and and what do we call that jeffrey it's uh, problem solving holla yeah so problem solving if you're going to introduce this to clients what's your first what i mean how do you introduce this to them what what what's your pitch to them all right so basically i so when it when it comes to problem solving, you know, historically as a <clears throat> just from like a therapist mental health point of view, I've I've always, you know, taught clients cost benefit analysis or decision matrix, which um you're not really gonna go into today for you know outside the scope of what we're talking about here. But the, the you know, decision matrix and cost benefit analysis are are helpful. You could look it up, but once we were uh, trained from, you know, the University of Cincinnati doing the CBISO stuff that we talk about quite a bit. I really ended up quite liking this this method here. And so, I mean, it is it is uh, module six, which means it's like well deep into the curriculum that we teach. So typically, I don't have to sell it to clients at that point. So really, I guess we're selling this to the listeners. You guys listening to this right here. That uh, this. If you if you're able, this does work better if you write down some of what we're saying as far as the method. You know, if you if we had visual capabilities, we could pop something up on the screen right now. But but 
uh, it does it does help to write some of this down because you want to take a lot of times when we have a problem here's my sales pitch to people I, you know when we have a when you have a problem that's like multifaceted and complex it's it's tough to keep track of all the competing thoughts and goals that you're trying to achieve and methods through which you would try to achieve them all at once. It's the same reason that I tell people to write down a behavior chain. It kind of takes all the traffic jam mess inside your head and gets it out on paper in front of you where you can look at it. So it's a three-step process. And uh, the step one is we tell them to identify your problem and your goal. So when we're talking about a problem, we're, we're often talking about a, you know a dilemma, a situation like I, you know, the, the problem could be I have a test coming up in a week and uh, I, I need to study for it, you know, and, and you know, we'll, we can refine this problem as we get going into it, but then we want to state a goal. So we have our problem, you know, test coming up in a week that I need to study for and a, and a goal. And we, you can have more than one goal. And, and so one goal would be, I want to do really well on this test. Isn't it? This is also the goals is where, the dilemmas start to come up, right? I mean, right, the, yep, the, the exactly. problem tends, it, it seems like a shortcoming in this step. If, if step one is identify your problem and goal, the shortcoming is not necessarily in identifying the problem. The shortcoming is, is not realizing the goals and quantifying them because this is really where the conflict comes in because you can have goals that don't always converge with one another. Mm. And, and this is where your decision-making uh, process tends to tends to break down when you have competing goals. Yeah, that's a really good point. So I'll I'll lay out a two or three potential goals, and you'll be able to spot the problem pretty quick. So my my first goal is I want to do really well on this test. Another goal is I want to maintain a healthy lifestyle, drug free. And another one might be that I want to preserve my relationship with my friends and family during this, uh, you know, like crazy time of studying and holidays and all the competing things, variables. So if we have those three, those three goals of, I want to do well on the test. I want to live a healthy lifestyle, drug free. And I want to preserve my relationships with, with, uh, you know, my, my, uh, girlfriend and family. Uh, what, what problem does that bring up? Well, and, and the problem the problem essentially is I've got finals coming up, right? I mean, that that's essentially the problem. But the goals are, as you said, I want to do well on these tests. I want to live a healthy lifestyle that also includes being drug-free. And I also want to maintain and, and, and you know these personal relationships that I have going on during this period of time, right? And I like the – I mean, the problem – one of the things that we really have to be careful with when we're talking about the problem is stating it objectively. And when we're talking to clients about the problem, we say, you know, ob objective essentially means we're going to try to take emotion and opinion out of out of the, the equation when we're just stating the problem. So if I just state the obvious, I've got a finals in a week, right? I mean, I, that's that's an obvious problem. I'm going to have to do something about this, which I think also signals that, you know, any inaction about this is going to result in consequences that I don't like. So a problem usually is specified by, uh, I mean, you know, if, if there's a problem that 
I, I don't think I have I have any stake in, you know, that doesn't doesn't really mean anything. You're not going to be really dedicated to it. This is something that's going to come to pass and you have to address it. And if you don't, it's going to result in either pot, you know, ne- positive or negative consequences to you one way or another. And that's potentially what we're trying to lay out here. So I think an objective way of describing that is I have finals in a week, right? Exactly. Right. Shortened to the point and objective. So step two is what? Brainstorm options and choose the best one. So brainstorming, you know, everybody's heard that term and you probably uh, taught that in school and did it at some point. And kind of the most common thing when I say, okay, tell me what is involved in brainstorming. A, a common response is typically throw out whatever ideas that you have, no ideas or bad ideas. Just, you know, just let your mind free associate and generate a list of of potential solutions and that's exactly what we'd encourage to do so again brainstorm options and choose the best one so how do you when, when you're introducing this to clients how do you uh explain brainstorming to clients like what what direction do you get them going well th- this this is one of the areas where i get the most pushback actually and the reason why really? is well because the answer tends to be obvious like oh. at, at times so and and Perhaps it is, but that's that's not the point of brainstorming. So, I mean, the okay. So the obvious answer, the obvious option is, well, plan and study hard and don't do drugs and make sure you're keeping in contact with your family, dummy. Problem like, solved. <laughs> uh, okay. So so now most people listening to this, that's the the conclusion that they're going to jump to. Now the problem with that is is that you're shortchanging yourself and you're not identifying. You're not you're not really. You know, th- this is so. So problem solving is is a cognitive process process that involves multiple mental computations, and it's it, it. I think going in one direction is not using the problem solving method. That is assuming that you have the answer and going with it. Now the problem, the the the, the I guess the shortcoming to that is is that when you in the heat of the moment, you know, right now it sounds great. I mean, I've never when I'm talking to clients and I'm asking them about you know, potential what ifs, you know, that's like, what if therapy, and it's silly. So I I say, okay, all right, uh, you know, Eugene, what if uh, Chuckles and Ray Ray roll up on you, you know, in the hood, and they offer you some, some, some heroin, what are you going to do? Well, Eugene doesn't say, man, I'll take that dope and go slam it. Like, nobody's going to say that. No, no client in their right mind is going to tell me that, right? They're going to, pro- they're going to tell me, exactly what they should do. And and I'm not saying that they don't believe this either. They're going to tell me, well, I probably should tell them no and, uh, you know, change my life and walk away. I'm like, good job, Eugene. You're going to be just fine. No, he's not. He's not going to be just fine. Because what we what do we know about Eugene that tells us that that's not likely to happen unless he takes some additional steps? Past behavior. I mean, if, if, you're, if you're running a group in prison... And Eugene's sitting there and you're having this conversation about, you know, would you or would you not use heroin? He's in prison talking to you. He, uh, and this isn't to say Eugene is dishonest or, or anything of the of the like. It's it's that 
when he's in a therapy session, his mind is very much focused on well, what it should be, but it does not mimic the realities of life and the, the, the different variables that Eugene's going to be experiencing when he no longer is in prison and he no longer has an officer looking over his shoulder at every opportunity. And he, now he has a mortgage to pay and, uh, you know, kids to feed and stress is building up and, uh, you know, the, the old urges to use come, come, uh, urgent to the surface so yeah the this brainstorming options thing is it it, that's exactly i think the point that you're making right well yeah i mean it kind of reminds me of that quote that uh it's uh i can resist everything except temptation (laughs) or something (laughs) that's awesome kind of like yeah i I really like but i i think you're you're not factoring in that you know okay in a sterile environment where we're just talking about a scenario of course, Eugene's going to do the right thing. That that's not the point. Um, he's going to well, he's going to tell me that he's going to do the right thing. In the heat of the moment, when he's with his buddies, his his friends that he doesn't want to disappoint, and and this is, turns into the dilemma. You know that I want to maintain good relationships with, and also now I'm triggered because they've offered me free drugs, and my limbic system is activated. Uh, the thinking part of my brain, my frontal cortex, is starting to shut down. I'm starting to have cravings. I'm not thinking correctly. Okay. Now let's let's have a conversation with that Eugene and and let's see what comes out. So I think throwing out shitty options is useful, okay? Not because you're going to do them. That that's not the point. The the, the point is I'm going to throw out bad options uh because they do have a function. And the, I I've described this before there was a um uh I watched a TED talk with this guy. He's a behavioral e- economist. His name's Daniel. I can't pronounce his last name. Oh yeah, he's good. Yeah, he's got like a burned face and shit. So he was he he. Oh, did you're a, being serious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Daniel. Yeah. I can't pronounce yeah. his name. And he has a, and he has a burned face. I think he has a burned face. Yeah. But uh, or he's hideous. No, I'm just kidding, Daniel. <laughs> but uh, but um, no, good looking dude. Um, last name's rough though. Yeah, I just can't pronounce it because I'm an idiot. Yeah. So he he was going over this um kind of personal research project that he did, and he sent out um. This basically, he was sending out to these were MIT students, and he was sending out um, the uh, just basically a, a poll on on which selection would they choose for a subscription to the Economist magazine. And the first set of students had three options. And so option one, and I'm not sure about the numbers, so don't quote me on this. You guys will get the idea. So option one was I could subscribe to the the paper account for for the uh, Economist magazine for $25, right? Um, option two was I could subscribe to the web-based version of the Economist magazine for $45. And option three was... I could subscribe to the paper and web-based version also for $45. So if I give you those three options, Jeff, which one do you think most of the students felt had the most value? Oh, option three. You get the paper version and the online version. Well, right. Okay. And and so in terms of the selection, in terms of which one had the most value, 100% said that one had the most value. Okay. So then he goes back and he just he eliminates the middle option. Okay, he goes back, and not with the same group of students, same number of students. He he found another group of students, and he eliminated the middle option. So the the, the shittiest option was option two, the web-based version, because you got it for the same price as the web and paper-based, right? Right. Price so he, he eliminated that one. Right. Price is exactly the same. And so the, the subscription for the paper was $25, 
and the subscription for the web and the paper was $45. And what ended up happening was it wasn't a complete turnaround, but more students said that the paper subscription was more valuable than the web and the paper subscription. So the 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 middle, the shitty option was useless in that we weren't going to use it, but it wasn't useless in helping us understand the value of the best option. And that's why you throw in bad options is because it helps promote the good options because sometimes not using drugs or buckling down for a test or like keeping in contact with your relationships, those reminds me of that Chris Rock joke that's like, you know, people brag about paying their bills. Like, you don't brag about shit you're supposed to do. <laughs> and, right. and it's true. It's hard to find reward in just doing things intuitively that you know are the right thing to do, right? There's no – nobody jumps out of bushes with a, a trophy and says, good job or anything like that. You just kind of break even. That That's really all it is. So unless you look at the consequences of some of these shitty options – it's really hard to find value in what we would determine to be the good options at that point. So the shitty options basically are a contrast then. And because like you say, you're not getting that that incentive, that reinforcement, the the good job for not doing drugs thing because, yeah, like great, good job. That's what you're supposed to do. But when you when you line that up against the, you know, if one of our, our – options for our brainstorming is you know crush up an Adderall and rail it like you're able to you're able to see like well okay not that and then maybe move towards uh the option that would be a little more palatable or or effective right so I think options for this like crushing up Adderall and railing it up my nose that's one option and uh and I mean what's another option I mean buckle down plan for this set a week aside um make sure i'm keeping in contact with my family let let them know ahead of time kind of what's going on yeah yeah though they let's let's just kind of compare those two options right right so when you're brainstorming folks what you would want to do is take those two options and essentially you have you ask is it meeting my goals again my goals were i want to do well on my tests I want to maintain a healthy lifestyle that is drug free and I want to, you know, preserve the relationships that are important in my life. So if we go with doing a doing a rail of Adderall, right? Um, does does that and and the answers are I mean either yes, no or maybe, right? So uh, re- real quick. Oh yeah. I'm just going to say like it for for uh, the the two of you out there that are actually writing this stuff down, it really is useful to kind of get this out in front of you. And so when you when you have your break- like, like on a grid yeah, like a grid. So, you know, we gave you two options for brainstorming. You're going to want to do about six. We're just giving two in the interest of time and so you get the concepts. You want want about four to six options. And then you, you have your three goals, right? You, you have your goal of um, doing well on the test. You have the goal of living a healthy, drug-free lifestyle. And then you've got your final goal of maintaining and preserving the relationships with the people around you. And so... Just kind of, if you can get that on a grid out in front of you, what what we're going to be going, what we're going to be doing is taking whatever the the option one is, rail a line of Adderall, and we're gonna we're gonna select for if yes, no, or you know, unknown, if it meets or does not meet each of our three given goals. So with goal number one, if goal number one is I want to do well on my test, does uh, snorting a line of Adderall um, uh, 
help me meet that goal. Sure does. So yes, I think we can say yes, helps me meet that goal. I mean, it might not pass the test, but well, who knows? Who knows? So yes, we'll, we'll say yes on that one. Um, does it help me maintain a, a healthy lifestyle that's obviously drug-free? Decidedly not. So no. And then does it um, help me maintain relationships in my life? Uh, kind of an unknown. So I mean, a maybe yeah. at this point, right? Right. Okay, so then my other option is I plan ahead, I segment the amount of time that I'm going to st- uh, study, and I and I strategize while keeping my family apprised of of you know my study habits in the interest of I'm not going to be as available. So does that help me do better on my test? Yes. Uh, does that also help me live a healthy lifestyle that's drug free? Yes. And does that help me maintain relationships that are in my life? Yes, it does. So that's a simplistic version of this, but obviously. Based on the the consequences, both positive and negative, for both of those outcomes, I can I can effectively choose that as as my best option. Now, again, that's just two, so you'd want to have six. Now, once I have that, that leads me to step three, which is what plan and try your solution. And so we're you know out of the two that we ran through just now, the obvious solution is to you know study, segment your time, plan ahead, talk to your your support group and let them know, or you just your family or whatever, let them know what's up and, and go from there. And so planning and trying your solution is just what it sounds like. It's like the actual nuts and bolts of how you pull that off. And so th- this is going to look different for everybody that tries this. This is where kind of the, the, the variability of each individual needs to figure out how they personally are going to plan and try that solution. If it were me, I, I might say, okay, I'm, so I kind of live my life off of my uh, Google calendar. It pretty well organizes and dictates everything I do. And so I would say, okay, for this next week, I'm going to look to see when I have blocks of time that, you know, so I've, I have work, you know, I have my internship, you know, I've got school during these times, you know, I've got a, you know, a date with Sally you know, on, on this day and time. Okay. Okay. So here's my, so I'll find out when my proposed blocks of studying can be. And then I, I, you know, I fill my calendar. I, I plug those, uh, those times in for the next coming week. And then I decide like, well, okay, let's see. Uh, my, my family usually expects me for Sunday dinner. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it because Sunday is a day that I have to really crush it. So maybe what I'll do is I'll, I'll, you know, I'll call my parents and I'll say, Hey, I'm not making it for Sunday, but since I want to preserve a relationship, it's like, Hey, you know, maybe, uh, once finals are over, uh, since I'm going to ace these finals, I'll take you guys out for, uh, for, for dinner and we can, we can hang out then. And, and you know what, and then of course, like whatever else I need to do to make it work, maybe I need to talk with my employer, trade a shift with a fellow employee. So I, you know, so I can have the time. Ultimately, the the idea is to give myself the time and kind of the bird's eye view, the helicopter view of the situation, and start making changes accordingly. Oh, and and I think the one of the things that is in here is that you know uh, an important word is try, and you're not. I, I think the implication is that at times you're not always going to be successful, right? And and that might be a mat. So that's not a <laughs> that's not a criticism of the problem solving method, folks. That's that's not to say that your way of going about figuring this out was wrong. 
perhaps you didn't have the information you needed. Maybe the follow-through wasn't where it needed to be. Um, I mean, there's any number of variables that led to your lack of success in this. And, and really what that is is really good information for starting over and doing the problem-solving method again and seeing if you can refine that and do better the next time. So, so one thing I'd say is, is regardless of your intentions on this, um, be comfortable with the idea that it's, it's not going to be successful and also know when it's going off the rails and to get it back on track and, and start back on, you know, identifying your problem and goal, brainstorming options and choosing the best one and planning and trying your solution. I mean, for a lot of people with their experiences, they're, their options and their, um, I guess their version of how things are going to turn out sometimes is not in line with other people's reality. And what I mean by that is just, you know, like some people don't take things as seriously as others do. And okay, that's fine. So you, you learn from that, you get better and then off you go. Um, so this is not, it's not like you use this once and then all your problems are solved. This is a method that we know to be the best way of, of coping with difficult situations that doesn't lead to any hazardous or risky behavior that could cause even more problems in your life. You know, you, the, the word method, I think, is an important thing to kind of underscore the point you're trying to make here. You know, we, like I think of the scientific method. You know, this, the scientific method does not um, definitively say that you're going to get the result you think you're going to get. It's just a It's just a method that's based on you know, gathering information, you know, forming a hypothesis, uh, figuring out how to experiment with it, um, analyzing the results, and then drawing a conclusion. And, it, I mean, you can have an idea about how the world works and be completely wrong. It doesn't make the scientific method wrong. It just means that you need to go back to the drawing board. It's a method. As opposed to, I think people sometimes, not just with this problem-solving method, but with a lot of the other techniques that we teach, look at it as a recipe. And that... If you add a little of this, a pinch of that, a dash of this, you know, cook it at 350 for 20 minutes, boom, you've got the same, you know, cookies every single time. Recipes that works that way. And this, I mean, obviously, you know, human behavior is complicated as hell. And when, you know, if you're plugging things into this problem solving method and are expecting it to be like a recipe and you're, you're going to be disappointed. You have to have the approach in your mind that this does not guarantee results. It's just a good systematic way for you to approach a problem and uh, yield the best overall results over time. Like the, the method that I just ran down, the proposed uh, you know, checking my Google calendar, talking to my, you know, family dinner, yada, 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 that, that might not work. I might, might fall flat on my face. Again, that doesn't mean the problem solving methods wrong. It means I need to reevaluate my approach. Well, and it kind of like, I mean, the, what's that famous quote? Like the, I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. Ted Bundy. That <laughs> Ted Bundy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure Thomas Edison or somebody like that. Yeah, something important. Same easy. Yeah. Same easy. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I mean, but uh, I I think that <laughs> that the idea is, I mean, I I look at this and I think you know the the opposite of success is not failure. The opposite of success is just quitting. You know, the uh, failure is a, a byproduct of being successful. Like you're going to fail. It's okay. So um, be patient with the process. 
Um, and we, we understand that you guys are under a lot of pressure as you're taking these tests and, or, or really making, you know, for any of our, um, clients that are listening to this, you're under a lot of pressure for making the right life decisions. That's okay though. Cause pressure makes diamonds. So it, it, it's okay to stick with, you know, the fact that being under pressure, you know, it's not, college is not designed to be unicorns and rainbows like it's supposed to be hard and so if it is hard good i'm not i mean i don't wish (laughs) bad times on you i'm just saying that's a good thing um and as long as you have a good outlook on it um you know hopefully and you incorporate some of these methods i think you guys will do just fine so anything else jeff that's good for me okay everybody good luck on your finals uh thanks for listening everybody we'll see you next time And thanks for listening to the Gorilla Social Work Podcast with your hosts, Jeff Moore and Mace Warren. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into all things related to forensic psychotherapy. As always, you can head over to utahsbesttherapy.com to check out our program and check out all the links and resources in the show notes. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, and wherever you prefer to get your listener fix. Please share this episode with your family and friends, and don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating, which really helps us out. You guys are awesome. We'd like to stay in chat longer, but we're lying. Good night.